Welcome to the 222nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Sometimes, picturing the land's future means taking a gander at things from a hilltop and using one's imagination. A few maps, some input from experts, and a little grass-fed beef doesn't hurt either. Mark Erickson has been farming since the 1970s, and for many of those years raised crops like corn, soybeans, and wheat on rented ground. But by the 2000s, he was having serious doubts about crop farming. Extreme weather was making it difficult to consistently raise a profitable crop, especially on some of the low-lying, flood-prone ground he was farming. Plus, his equipment was getting worn out, and cropping infrastructure like tile drainage was becoming increasingly more expensive. In addition, Mark, who has always raised livestock of some type using various methods, was becoming increasingly impressed by the viability of grass-based beef production. He had seen firsthand how moving animals frequently through paddocks via a managed rotational grazing system could reliably produce beef in a profitable manner, even on land that wasn't great for cropping. Erickson liked how a livestock system based on perennial grasses and forbs was building the long-term resilience of the land while cutting machinery, chemical, and other expenses. Making a significant switch in farming systems is never easy. When you're renting your land, a transition that involves, for example, converting annual row crops to grassland means the landowner has to be part of the decision. That's particularly true when establishment of long-term infrastructure such as fencing and watering systems is part of the transition. Mark benefits from the fact that he has long-term lease agreements with his four landlords. But still, in the end, he was proposing making significant changes on land he did not own. So, in 2009, he set out to describe the challenges he was currently facing on that farmland and to paint a picture for the landowners of what a different future could look like. He and his family invited the absentee landowners out to the Erickson farmstead on a summer day, load them onto a hay rack, and took them on a tour of the land. One stop was a hilltop where Mark was able to give them a landscape-level look at the acres he was renting from them. The farmer described the challenges he faced trying to crop soggy bottomlands and then showed them a grazing plan he had drawn up that gave a sense of what their land could look like covered in perennial vegetation. They then headed back to the farmstead where grazing and soil health specialists with the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service talked about who was responsible for the fencing and watering infrastructure that would be set up with the help of government programs. Finally, the tour participants got to sample one other benefit of pasture farming when they dined on grass-fed burgers. Mark Erickson's tour sold the Ford landlords on the change, and today he's raising grass-fed beef on 400 rented acres. He's watched as the soil health, along with his grass and herd productivity, have gone up. The land not only manages water well, but it's home to numerous bird species, and thanks to some native prairie markers restored, lots of pollinating insects. When they visit, the landowners comment on how they like to see cover on their acres during times of the year when the rest of the landscape is bare. On a fall day when neighboring corn and soybean fields were mucked in from recent rains, I visited Mark's grazing operation and saw firsthand the power of pasture to revitalize the land. We then talked about how renters can help landowners visualize the widespread benefits of farming systems that build economic and ecological resilience. Mark, we were talking just a little bit. We were looking at uh, what you've done with your your grass-based uh, livestock operation here, your grass-based uh, uh, beef operation. Everything looks really good. I mean, it's just these pastures. I know you're not happy with way some of them are looking, but they look really good to me. I know it's taken you several years to get to this point, but 
back in 2009, this actually was all, all of these pastures you've got here, this 400 and some acres of pastures that, that you're renting here, was not pasture. It was corn and beans and I guess wheat as well. You were raising crops here. And you had decided to approach your landlord, you have four different landlords, and talk to them about this idea of converting to grass-based livestock production and getting out of the cropping business. And prices weren't very good, your equipment was getting worn out. I think it was really interesting how you did this in a very methodical way and kind of gave them a bit of a sales pitch on why this made sense for them and why it made sense for you and kind of maybe even made sense for the community and kind of the landscape here. Can you just talk a little bit about what kind of what you did? You it was a whole you kind of made a whole day out of it a little bit it sounds like. We um, started about 10 o'clock in the morning and we asked all the landlords to come and the, some family members to help make a, a, a meal and so we uh, we met in the morning and talked things over and explained more more about they'd already heard some of the story of why I needed to change what I was doing if I was going to stay in the farming business and we we talked about that a little bit and then we took a hayride out into the top of the hilltops out in the uh, fields where we were going to put the proposed uh, fences and uh, water tanks in and and uh, and how we were would manage it and why we would do it that way. So we we sat on the hay rack on top of the hill and I kind of drew a picture of where the where where all this structure was going in and how we were going to manage it and where we were, were going to put the lane to move the cows back and forth and up to the buildings and so trying to help them visualize what was going to happen to their to their land that seemed helpful in that uh, you know it brought questions up that you you would never you would never be able to get those questions from them just trying to tell them about it over the telephone or or writing a letter i thought that it worked well to for them to be able to visualize it and we you know we spent the whole day doing this and then we went went home and and uh, had our lunch and, and uh, then uh, NRCS was there and, and helped uh, answer questions and so they could ask questions and think about a little bit what was going going to happen. Do you remember any any big questions that did come up? Because uh, that's something that a landlord, these are all uh, landlords that uh, uh, it, they've got extended family situations like that. They're kind of absentee landlords. So they probably did have some questions. Um, uh, you know, this, if we look around here, this is corn and soybean country. It is not uh, pasture country. So I assume maybe some, some pretty big questions came up when you were starting to talk about this. There was some questions about how, if something happened, how it could be, the procedure could be reversed. And so we, we put the water lines in uh, 20 inches deep so that uh, if the ground needed to be returned to tillage, that they would not need to be removed. And, and we made the fences only one strand, the interior fences, so they, you know, could easily be taken down. So it's not something that's, you know, it would be impossible to reverse. Well, and kind of along those lines, you had a, a grazing specialist with the Natural Resources Conservation Service here, and as well as a district conservationist. And they were kind of able to ask questions and kind of lay out in writing 
this is what you're going to be looking at doing. You're, you are going to be using various programs like the Environmental Quality Incentives Program and Conservation Stewardship Program to set up some of these grazing systems and uh, get the grass established, that kind of thing. So they could answer some questions about, well, this is how many years the contract is and, and that kind of thing, it sounds like. The grass planting is, was required to la- be left in place for five years. The, the perimeter fence... Uh, is required to be left in place for 20 years, and the uh, uh, the watering system, I believe, for 10 years. I guess looking down the road now, that was back in 2009, uh, almost 10 years ago. Are they are the landlords kind of coming back and saying, "Yeah, uh, what we envisioned is this is a good it was it was a good uh, uh, decision, or we, we like what's being done with the landscape here." I think you know by and large the the landlords are fairly pleased with how the you know the project has gone and how it looks and and what we're producing. They they enjoy being part of something that's a little different like that and a different look to the land. And I think also you said some of it was maybe what kind of gave them a little bit of incentive to go with this is a little bit of an idea of seeing that this is an area where you got a lot of issues with low-lying land, water, managing water is a big issue, but you've been able to kind of, I think, through through this this good grazing system, grazing rotational grazing system, kind of build up that soil health to the point where it's absorbing the land, the water. It's uh, you got tons of habitat. You got this pollinator habitat you've established. You've seen a lot of uh, uh, wildlife and pollinators, that kind of thing. But it, just in general, kind of, it's a it's a real nice. Uh, I guess, positive addition to the community as far as the landscape has just got this perennial habitat. And, you know, at a time where I'm here right now where we're getting a lot of rain and a lot of the fields are getting pretty muddy, but uh, we were able to drive out into your fields and it's really managing that water well. So that must make, I would think it would make them feel a little bit better about seeing that land that they own being kind of, I guess, a positive element in the landscape a little bit, kind of, I guess environmentally and, and from a conservation standpoint. You had mentioned this one landowner right across the road here, the 80 acres. There was land that had sold for, I think, $7,700 an acre. You were pretty frank with him, with that landlord, and said, you know, that's something you could probably do. But I don't know, tell that story a little bit, but where you kind of had an honest, honest conversation with him, but you he still was, was uh, kind of saying, yeah, let's go with the grass, getting the grass established and do rotational grazing here instead of going for selling it for top dollar so it could just become another corn and soybean farm. If I was going to keep farming that 80, it, it, it lays nice and flat, uh, and it's not broke up like some of the, some of the other uh, land that I have in pasture here has irregular-shaped fields and uh, small fields cut off by ditches and so on, so it makes it a little hard to farm. But this 80 is pretty flat and open, but it has nine prairie potholes in it. Mm. So those could have been easily drained by a system tile, system tiling, and the, the grove could be bulldozed and, and would make a complete nice flat 80 uh, that would, would uh, be top cropland. But it's a problem to farm without the tile because of the prairie potholes. If I was going to continue to farm it, converting the operation to grassland, the only way to do that would be to plant it to grass. So, But I thought the landlord should know that this is what the neighboring land, what's, what's happening, happening 
around here, how, how much it's worth. And he'd had some experience with the, the grassland and, and how it looked. And, and he told me, well, he said, we'll, I think we'll uh, let you go ahead with, the, with your project and plant it all into grass and restore part of the, the pothole portion of it into native prairie. And he was glad to be a part of that. Yeah, he kind of liked what he'd seen you do on other parts of the land around here. So that kind of was a, a real incentive for him to look into that. Do you, do you have any advice for somebody who might be in a similar situation as you who is renting land? I mean, that's always an issue for setting up a grazing system and the infrastructure involved. It's hard sometimes to talk a landlord into that. There is the idea of just getting the cash rent from the crop land and kind of going with that and not really being interested in, you know, this is kind of, they're agreeing to kind of a long-term infrastructure investment in a way, even though maybe they are not paying directly for that. It is, you know, allowing fencing to be put up, allowing corn and soybean ground to be converted to grass and not looking like every other farm in the area. I mean, do you have any uh, any advice for somebody who might be working with some landlords uh, and, and, trying to talk them into, hey, let's try something different, do some some, uh, rotational grazing, let's get a grazing system established. I think it's important to to talk about what the future of the the land is and what what is the value of it to uh, children and grandchildren and how you, you can make a system that will fit, you know, something other than what's going to just be all big farms. And is there is there a value to that? Is there a value to re- returning the soil to some sort of um, soil health and organic matter standards that it used to be? Our soil used to be in this area used to be at least ten percent organic matter, and now it's common for it to be three or four percent. And by putting it in grassland it, in a ten-year period, I think I I believe I understand that you should be able to restore it to between 7 and 8% organic matter. And then the water, the water goes down. It doesn't run off once you pl- establish this grassland. And I think that's a, a really important part of what grasslands do. They, they clean up the water and they, it goes down into the aquifer instead of running off. Is, is, there, is there some value to that? For resources that can help landowners and renters develop agreements that support stewardship on the land, see LSP's Conservation Leases page at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) ¶¶